0: This is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 119, about The Defenders, season 1, episode 7, Fish in the Jailhouse. Welcome back, fellow Defenders. This is our episode 119, all about the penultimate episode of The Defenders, season 1, Episode 7, Fish in the Jailhouse. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Hi, I'm one of your other hosts, John. And rounding out the group, I'm Chris. Welcome back to this episode of yeah, The Defenders. We are almost at the end of The Defenders series. It feels like such a short show this time. We've normally had 13 episodes per season. Uh, we're now on episode 7 of an 8-episode season, so going really fast. Yeah, it will all be wrapped up within a month. Mm-hmm. Very quick for us. Very quick. <laughs> But it's been great fun on this journey with all of the Defenders. This yeah, it's been
1: good together. going along at a fast pace, I think, on the Defenders so far. Yeah, it's been pretty cool.
2: Yeah, no, I think it's um, it's a different pace. I think I think you just said that, but it's I was so geared up that this was going to be this huge, ever-expanding, ever-ongoing thing. And I'm like, oh no, it's nearly over. Yeah. No. So, <laughs> it's like, give me another eight episodes Come on, just like tack it on the end It's a special hidden eight episodes Mini-series That's just, just like, would you finish the first one? Uh-huh. They're like, by the way, you finished it You get the next
0: it Just let episode eight play And then there's a bit, bit of darkness at the end And then suddenly they come back for another eight yeah. episodes Well, we do have loads, loads more Defenders to come We have Punisher coming up later in the year uh, Rumours that it's going to be November And then we're going to have uh, Iron Fist Season 2 coming up We've got Jessica Jones Season 2 And Luke Cage Season 2 Which are filming Or already filmed now And Daredevil Season 3 So still loads And loads
1: of Oh my god I know It's like It's the TV universe That keeps on giving It's awesome It's awesome And of course A number of the listeners On Facebook group Are certainly uh, Up for a Misty Knight Colleen Wing And Claire Temple Kind of a series Um, Sort of Daughters of the Dragon Type uh, Thing Which would a bit like, say, with The Punisher being spun out of this series could be pretty cool. I also think there's scope for Heroes for Hire spin-out as well that maybe connects in with uh, Daughters of the Dragon. That could be quite cool. Yeah, yeah, that would be very cool. And needs some more female-led shows on Netflix, definitely. Uh, they are very, they seem to be very good at
0: that. Um, we've only got Jessica Jones in the Marvel Universe, but they've got so many other great female-led shows over there um, with things like Orange is the New Black... And Kimmy Schmidt and Blow, loads of really good female led shows. So it's a great place for another female led show. And love to see more Colin Wing and uh, and Misty Knight and of course Claire Temple uh, get their own series, it'd be cool. Yeah, really. I mean, I would be definitely up for that. Um, and we'd definitely be podcasting better. And if we do, all you need to do is subscribe to our podcast over on Apple podcasts. Go to defenderstvpodcast.com slash iTunes to go directly to Apple podcasts. We also release our episodes on every other good podcast catcher. Just search for Defenders TV podcast over there.
1: Yes. And as I mentioned earlier, join the Facebook group. Uh, come on over, join the community there. Give us your insightful thoughts on all things Defenders, uh, you can just head over to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Defenders TV podcast where we have spoiler posts and you can comment uh, as you see fit on all the Defender episodes of this season. But if you like the sound of your own voice, you can also send in uh, your (laughs) voicemail Uh, through our website at DefendersTVPodcast.com. Just click on the tab on the right-hand side of the, the screen. You can then leave 90 seconds of your insightful feedback and that. We all like to hear our own voices, don't we? <laughs> We'd love to hear the listeners' voices, definitely. Yeah. Um, and, of course, the final competition
0: prize will be given out on the next episode for, for everybody that has sent us feedback during this series of The Defenders. You're all going to go into the hat and we'll be picking out our final winner of that prize at the end of our review for episode eight. But I think it's time to get into this episode and the details of it. Yeah. Derek, what are the episode details? Fire away. Well, this episode, once again, written by Lauren Smith-Histrich and Marco Ramirez. Marco, I think, has been on a little bit more episodes than uh, Lauren Smith-Histrich has been, um, but he has been on almost every one, and also with Doug Petrie being the other writer, so, so they have been involved in every episode so far, but... On the directing side, we have a brand new person to the Defenders universe—the only director of a Defenders episode who has not directed an episode of Iron Fist, Daredevil, Luke Cage, or Jessica Jones. Uh, Felix Enrique and Alcala, um, first time on the team. Uh, so that's quite cool. a. Quite an interesting choice. It's great to have somebody new on board as well. It's great always to have the kind of heroes of our uh, Defenders teams so far being directors on episodes. But he's done tons of shows, been working all the way back from uh, from early 90s on TV. Uh, He's done things like Battlestar Galactica, Sarah Connor Chronicles, and the right-up-to-date with Criminal Minds, that kind of stuff. Um, But interestingly, he directed the 1998 TV version of The Taking of Pelham 123, which starred Edward James Almas. The yes. leader of Battlestar Galactica and one Vincent D'Onofrio uh, from Daredevil. So um, maybe you got a little
2: recommendation?
0: From maybe Vincent yeah. D'Onofrio. Sounds like it.
2: You know these TV people; they're so incestuous.
0: They love to reward good work. I think. Yes.
2: That's probably a better way of saying it. Yes, yes. probably yes.
0: <laughs> but John, do you want to tell us what they
1: gave us with your synopsis for the episode? Sure. In the aftermath of the attack and kidnap of Danny Rand by Elektra, Jessica Jones, Matt Murdock and Luke Cage wake up to find themselves in the police precinct in Harlem as persons of interest in the murders of Sawande and Stick. Misty Knight is caught between her superiors wanting answers and arrests and her instinct that something bigger is at play and that Luke, Jessica and Matt can help. Elsewhere, Alexandra's blood-dripping body is unceremoniously removed as Electra explains the new reality to the remaining members of the Hand, who desist from challenging her and agree to let her pursue her goals, hoping that she will grant them access to Kunlun and the substance. Jones, Murdoch and Cage escape the precinct and go to Midland Circle, and are confronted by Gao, Bakuto and Murakami, as they battle the Hand with the help of Colleen Wing, who has another more explosive plan for defeating the Hand, another battle rages far beneath the streets of New York, where Elektra has taken Danny to the mystical gateway that requires the Iron Fist chi to open. As their fight intensifies, Danny learns that Elektra was the one who had attacked K'un-Lun, and as Danny's focus drops, she tricks him closer to the door. In the heat of the encounter, Elektra uses her size to redirect the Iron Fist hitting the ornate door that opens, causing a blast that knocks Danny out and the power grid to go out throughout the city. As Danny awakens he discovers that Electra is nowhere to be found, and he rests beneath the skeleton of a defeated dragon, Shaolau the Undying. We believe we believe <laughs> yes. we hope that's the yes. that's the dragon footnote
0: uh, 1 uh, we believe yes exactly <laughs> as you know fellow defenders we do not look ahead we haven't seen episode 8 we haven't seen the finale so we're hoping that this is shared that there isn't just a uh, an entire breed of thousands of dragons in the marvel universe um it feels like this would be very likely to be um to be shared the and I. yeah it
2: could be yeah no i i'm interested to see if they are going to bring in a a horde of Ping Fang foom style
0: <laughs> dragons. ding Fang Foom. Yeah, that'd be cool. And- well, we have made the comparison between this and Game of Thrones a few times. Maybe they are going to go for the dragons from Game of Thrones, perhaps. Oh, yeah. Maybe. There you go. Well, let's get on to our top five points. As always, we do choose our our biggest moments of the episode. Uh, This is an episode really of kind of three parts, but there are probably five big points to talk about. Um, To begin with, our first point is about the aftermath of the attack by Electra on the defenders. Kind of the episode kicks off with um, them all lying on the floor. The song, Where Did You Sleep Last Night? playing over the top, kind of an an orchestral instrumental version of that, um, with all three of the defenders left. Uh, on the floor after the attack by the, by Electra with Stick dead. Um, so what we have is that they now wake up in the Harlem police department, um, being accused of the murder of two people that were found at the premises, one being Stick, the other being Sawande. Um, the way that Misty Knight described it is two dead bodies, one headless, one impaled. So, um, yeah, pretty brutal deaths. Uh, and pretty serious consequences, possibly for two of the defenders. Jessica and Luke seem to be the ones accused of it. Uh, Matt seems to be getting away with it because of his status as the lawyer. So he seems to be, they seem to just assume that he was knocked out on the property and not a murderer.
1: Yeah. Uh, Quick question. Did anyone get the kind of feeling that in the precinct that all of a sudden Stick was still alive? There was... I don't know. I'm sure there was conversations that seemed to say he's been taken off to hospital or something like that in there. And all of a sudden, I was doubting whether maybe he was even dead. But I think he is. On the second time of watching it, I didn't really get that sense. But there was um, a moment where I was thinking that he had somehow survived the the katana being punctured through his chest. But mm. it could have hit all his. It could have missed, I should say, all his uh, major organs. So I was suddenly thinking that maybe he was still around, still alive, like fighting, which kind of you could expect from Stick as well. But he certainly looked pretty dead at the end of uh, the previous episode. So, uh, And on second time viewing, I kind of thought, yeah, I I didn't really get that sense. But the first time I did, I don't know whether anyone else got that.
0: I think it's because Mr. used the term impaled. Um, to kind of indicate that he was still stabbed through with a sword, yeah. maybe, rather than saying that he
1: was another murder. And she I says suppose. two dead bodies, I suppose. But uh, yeah, it was just, I'm sure yeah. Matt and Foggy, there, there was talk about someone being taken to hospital, so I didn't know. Right.
2: I, I didn't get that feeling, although I am, I think I said in the last episode, I'm pretty sure Stick's not dead. Right, like, okay. Uh, in some fashion, he will resurrect because... The whole fact that the cast, or the chases to say, is now destroyed, utterly destroyed. Yeah. Unless you see a person's headless body, mm-hmm. unless you see them burn to death, there's always a way they can come back.
0: And there is also the fact that this episode did start out with a conversation between Stick and Elektra from which would have happened around the time of season two in Daredevil. So it kind of puts you a little bit... A little bit uh, Unease about the whether he's dead or not. I suppose
1: because you're starting out the episode with a conversation between the two characters. Yeah, I mean, it, what, what, what was it, three months ago or something? I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I got that that was a flashback. I think I just was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It was some of the the words within the precinct seem to suggest that maybe he was still uh, fighting for his life or something, but it didn't look like that yeah. at the time. It yeah. looked pretty serious. But yeah, who knows, as Chris said, um, until you see the head being swished off, he could be alive.
2: The other part on that is they will lose a huge part of the universe by doing this. Um, Like, unless there is some form of the chaste still in Kong Lung that can be called on, almost like a reserves force. Um, that kind of come back out into the world because otherwise you are losing a huge chunk of who they are
0: I just get the feeling that they were trying to do something with the Defenders like they were doing with the Avengers effectively making the movies build up to the Avengers and the TV series build up to the Defenders what that means for me I think is that this is the end of all of the Hand connections when we move into Daredevil Season 3 we won't see any of the Hand connection stuff I think this is going to be a break from everything connected to the Hand including the Chaste um, I think that's going to be the end of it. There will be brand new stories about different sides of the Marvel Universe connected with the Defenders from the next
1: series on. Yeah, and we certainly uh, get told, really, that Elektra is not the Hand. She's making that quite clear. That's true. Yeah. As well. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how the remaining uh, Hand members come out of this this uh, first season of Defenders. Yeah. But I think as well... Another really important thing here in in the aftermath of of the defenders, where they're all at the precinct, are in a sense those um, the ladies, or Claire and Colleen, about where they stand within this kind of new group. I mean, I think we also have to remember it's only two days that this is, technically happened over. I think that's the timeline on this. Yeah, doesn't Jessica and Luke have that conversation where Jessica goes, this feels like weeks. (laughs) Yeah, like, so it it is quite a short period of time, Mm -hmm. but that, in in effect, you know, Colleen, you know, started out in Cambodia with Danny fighting the hand and then has been kind of put in the precinct for these two days. And it it does, it feels like um, slightly longer. There is part of me that feels that of... This group of people, Colleen, given that she was fighting the hand with Danny and probably should have been with the defenders. But then, of course, it's five, not four. And, uh, you you know, the the show is focusing on uh, Danny, Jessica, Matt uh, and Luke. So um, I think it was important that they had this conversation about where they stand within all of this and that they are the foundation uh, for um, at least Colleen is for for Danny and Claire. Ultimately, is for probably more of them, uh, with the exception of Jessica. Um, you know, she's been there for Luke, Danny, and for Matt Murdoch. So, um it was really important to have this come back to to them, uh, and obviously then seeing Colleen sort of move and become like proactive in in trying to help them. So, I, I really like that because there was part of me thinking. You know, I feel as though Colleen should have been at the table to some extent, um, oh, I given think. how close she was to Danny, uh, rather than being hidden away in the precinct. Um, you know, she's fought the hand before. In fact, she's fought one of the fingers and has beaten him. Yeah. So um, she can look after
0: herself. Absolutely. I love that she's brought in later in the episode. But if you look back at the timeline, it's quite interesting. You know, effectively, Danny made the decision to go and use his business acumen to go up against the hand. He walked in, in his suit to Midland Circle, uh, was caught unawares by the board of Midland Circle with all their knives in the second episode, really third episode. Um, Luke Cage came in to meet him. Matt came in to meet him. Jessica came in to meet him. Then they went on the run. They went to the restaurant. Then they went into hiding and then they got all their friends together and put them in the precinct. And that's kind of where they are now. Um, There's no, there's no opportunity really for Colleen to have joined them at any point. There was no moment where they were calling out for their friends to come and join them. And so I I can understand it's an easy enough way to sideline Colleen, but I love that she comes back to join them in this episode. I think it makes total sense that she would be the person to join the
1: defenders. No, absolutely. I I think within the context of two days, then Mm -hmm. she hasn't really been sidelined. I suppose it's because we've been doing this for, uh, you know, coming up to a month. It does kind of feel as though that. She's not been as active within within the show, and that's true as well. But, um, yeah, I, I thought this uh, conversation, I thought it was good. I thought it was really nice to have that sort of uh, coming together of Claire and Colleen. Yeah. And, and even with, you know, there's kind of obviously because of her role as a police officer and investigator, Misty does have to be a bit more standoffish, but I like how that plays out then, over the rest of uh, this episode where she goes to Midland Circle by the end of it, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just one of the points I wanted to make on the, on the aftermath for The
0: Defenders. I did thought it was interesting, even though Misty has a previous relationship with Luke, I thought it was quite interesting that she's kind of calling out the fact that Luke, Luke's already a criminal. He's been in prison before, so he will probably get the blame on this. And there's no way he's going to get out of it, uh, again, because he's been in prison twice now. And then Jessica, because she murdered Kilgrave gets the blame instantly from Misty and kind of goes, it's not out of your remit to murder people, you know? So this is still coming back to her because she murdered Kilgrave.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, it was interesting there in the interview room as well, that Jessica tugs on on the uh, cuffs and, and they don't break. Yeah, yeah. I know she's not a Luke Cage, but and like he did that, obviously, um, episode one with the prison where he just kind of snaps the cuffs. Yeah. But you think um, she's a pretty powerful individual that, you know, she can snap door handles off and all this kind of stuff that um, without her thinking, mm-hmm. um, they possibly could have come off um, and, and broken as well. Yeah,
2: yeah. The, the whole Jessica Power piece is starting to confuse me now more and more and more. I think there's a real difference between the writers and like overall just even the VFX guys in terms of how powerful she is. Later on, um, during one of the best battle scenes, that we'll talk about later, mm-hmm. she's seen kind of being pretty super-powered. And yeah. then here, she's... Is it just because she's just waking up from consciousness that she slams... Like, that That kind of unknown, kind of subconscious kind of shake that she does, in theory, should break those cuffs into smithereens. So it's, just, it's, it's a bit confusing sometimes, and I'm hoping that they will... Maybe address it at, like, Jessica Jones season two. Derek, as you said in previous episodes, kind of, like, we don't think she knows her own power. So, therefore, mm-hmm. unless she actively thinks about it, like, she doesn't have it, yada, yada, yada.
0: But, you, like, you don't want her to be a character that's walking around, and as she opens the door, she rips off the handle to it. She's not, she's not that strong. I wonder if this was just she lifted up her hands and her hands were in cuffs. Yeah, maybe. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But anyway, that's that's kind of the aftermath for the Defenders, is really that they've got this murder case effectively
1: leveled at them. Yeah, and it's looking pretty tricky for Matt Murdock as well, given that he's a lawyer. Mm -hmm. Um, It's kind of... The blessing is that he wasn't in his daredevil suit, but um, certainly he seems to be giving a bit more leeway with the fact that he is a lawyer. Although I think Misty is still like, you know, cut the bullshit uh, on this pro bono stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, she's getting a bit skeptical uh, as to his true role in, in in all of this. So I think that's really kind of interesting as well, you know. And yeah. um, he's trying to uh, silver tongue his way out of um out of his predicament um as well. So there yeah, that's kind a nice little aftermath uh, for the defenders. Mm. Um but yeah, as I say, the aftermath for the hand is a little more bloody, uh, a little more threatening uh, from a physical sense definitely. Um, first off, I absolutely loved the fact that when they carry Alexandra's body off in the bed sheet or whatever it was, that the underneath of that is dripping a trail of blood as the the two kind of minions are, are, are taking it out. I thought that was a really nice little touch, um... You see my doctor. side? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, I why you covered Hannibal's. Yes, I think was, so. I, I just thought that was very, very cool. You know, you still got Electra wiping off uh, Alexandra's blood from her face. Um, and I love her retort, to. I think it's Bakuto who says, we don't do things like that. And she goes, well, we do now. And it, it just adds for the rest of that scene, I think, um, a really nice threat because she's still got her, um, one of her weapons in her hand. And I'm just kind of the, I thought at least Bakuto was a potential goner, um, here at the hands of, of Electra for sure. Uh, but I, I did really like this. And yeah, here we really get the idea that she can't, she couldn't really care less about the hand. Um, and really she's there for her own needs which is the substance yeah, yeah um so yeah really cool
2: they they threaten her to a degree verbally but yeah they and they constantly circle her which I thought was yeah. really it was like so she's aware of them and they are they are trying to almost trap her into a three pronged circle if you will um. A triangle almost if you wanted to call it that. That's more likely. <laughs> yeah, a three pronged circle or a triangle, name as most people for call a three-pronged
1: it. Circle. Yes. A I, I'm coming
2: up with it right now. I'm patenting triangle. <laughs> but they they start doing this and I'm like, now this is something interesting. We're going to see Electra whoop the asses of the three of them.
1: Mm.
2: And I was expecting it and I was expecting it so very much a kind of like you you know the old like it's almost like she has to train the dog, so she has to. You have to. Uh, this sounds terrible, but I I don't do this. I love animals. Before I say, but in order to train something, you have to kind of tell it off first. So right. it's to get it submissive, if you will. So I was expecting mm-hmm. her to hand them their asses, and then they would then. Okay, yes, Electra is queen of the hand, right. if you will. But no. It was signposted.
0: Yeah, but as, as John said, and what I really like about this conversation with Electra is that she is not the Hand. So the entire plan that they've had for these seven episodes is effectively that um, Alexander's plan was to get the Iron Fist, break open this tomb underneath Midland Circle, and then the Hand would come and rule the world effectively. is kind of the plan. You don't know the full plan, of course, but... Electra immediately takes power, kills Alexandra and goes, I'm not the Hand, but you're going to have to follow me as well. So she's now expanded the Hand in front of these leaders that have been around for centuries. She's gone, you're no longer the Hand, you now just work for me, Electra's organisation, you know, which I think is is really fascinating. I love how each of the fingers of the Hand use their own different way to talk to her, where Bakuto's really dismissive of what she's just done. She's, you know, she's effectively just walked in and killed Alexandra, He kind of goes, "Well, we've had we've had coups before.
2: We are the we are the background of a
0: coup." Exactly. He's like, "There's there's nothing new here. You've just killed Alexandra. It's not something that none of us have tried before." Then Madame Gao really appeals to her, says to her, "You know, we've done a lot of work to set ourselves up as this huge organization around the world. Alexandra was at the forefront of that. You've just killed her, so now you need to plan for keeping us at the forefront of the world's organizations with all the heads of business that we have to deal with." And Electra just kind of again comes back to her and says, "Not, not for me. That's not what I'm here for."
1: Yeah, she has a really nice point here, where she goes, um, "But you're underground. You are hiding in the shadows. Yeah, um, you didn't come out into the up front and into the light, so to speak, to really state." Um, your confidence and your purpose, mm-hmm. um, and that's her kind of retort to Gao, which I really like. Um, whereas, yeah, Gao is definitely the the more underhand and manipulative uh, of these three. Definitely. Yeah, she's pretty pragmatic about it as well. She's she's talking about the business side of the
0: hand, and Electra's going, "Well, that's not power to me. That's not power." Definitely. And then finally, Murakami is very threatening. If you if you're watching his his Subtitles obviously, which is the way we have to follow him. Um, he's being very threatening to her. He's very much kind of gone, in a way, it's well, you killed Alexandra. That doesn't mean you're gonna live for very much longer either. You
1: know, we're all powerful as well. Definitely was quite a bit. Yeah, definitely. Um I mean it's interesting, isn't it, that it went that way. You could think Electra could just simply um if the substance is that important to her, that some kind of fight here mm-hmm. would have made sense. But at the same time I, I like how they did it through. I think Madame Gao really understands here that now they're closer than they ever have been to opening the gateway, getting the substance, and making their way back to Conlon. And mm-hmm. um, so it is almost then that they allow her to go about her business. I don't think they're absolutely on board with her at all. Um, and maybe there is some big fight still to come uh, to. Try and get um, Electra out of the way. But certainly, I think at this moment, they're just allowing her to work, I think they think, for them. Yeah, that's what I'm kind of concerned about, as I,
0: as I mentioned. She has just told them, I'm not the hand. So, what's to say that she's going to carry out the rest of the plan and get them back to Kunlun? What's to say she's not going to take the substance for her own? Use so we'll see what happens in the next episode of
2: that. Anyway, so let's move us on to the next kind of point. So okay, point three, which is escaping the police department, mm-hmm. plain and simple. We can kind of get into like there is this this a very emotional, fantastic scene with Foggy Nelson and Matt, and it's kind of this this is my life. We are your family. As he gives Matt this kind of the the daredevil suit. Oh yes, and, and it's it's that's great. Which is like. Now that Foggy has seen him do both things, I suppose, it's almost like, you we're here to help you figure out how you can do both of these things at the same time.
0: Yeah, and he's also protecting himself. He does also say, you know, if if Matt gets investigated here, they open up every single case they've ever worked on, which could get both of them despired. So he is also protecting himself, which I totally understand. I think he's starting to come around to the idea that Daredevil is required to fix this th- this threat, so he will be supportive of Matt to help him go and fix this threat.
2: That is exactly the way that it is, should be considered. i just, I suppose, I didn't take it at that initially, and now that you've just said it, I'm like, okay, yeah, no, that's what he said.
0: <laughs> we just call it out to Karen. Um, yes, exactly. And say. then,
2: but see, then again, this part with Karen is like we were just getting Matt back. How could you encourage his dark side, like mm-hmm. like that, the horned side? And again, Karen forcing him to, you can't have both. You can't have me and you can't have Daredevil. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then when he didn't have Daredevil, she, he didn't have her. So I'm a bit like,
0: well, that's not a threat, honey. Well, we, we were starting the series with the two of them starting to get back on. Uh, on a, a right wavelength again, I suppose. Uh, but yeah, she does seem to be holding that over him again. Um, I wonder if this is what drives her off to work with Frank Castle for for Punisher, uh, where she's driven away from, from Mass Murdoch because he's taken back up the suit. Like, while Foggy tries to explain it to her that the reason why he's reaching out to, to Mass and saying, you should take this up this mantle is because he needs to do this one big event. And if he does this, then he'll stop being Daredevil.
1: I think they need to be really careful here with, with her character because, yeah, she's really loading on on Matt here about mm-hmm. him suiting up and protecting people with a certain amount of violence and, and the safety for him. Yet, with the Punisher, she doesn't mind someone who has no compromise within him, which is his character, which is fantastic, but she's prepared... Uh, And and sees that as something that she can understand or at least empathize with, yet she doesn't seem to be able to do that with Matt. Now, maybe that's because she's closer to Matt and she knows him as Matt. Uh, In in effect, Frank Castle and the Punisher for her are one in the same things to an extent. But she is empathizing with him on the level of the fact that he lost his family. So I think they have to be a bit careful about how far they push her, being slightly disapproving of Matt Mm -hmm. uh, putting on a red suit uh, and using limited violence, at least non-lethal violence, to help protect people. Um, Because she is also then, at least from Daredevil Season 2, it'll be interesting to see what happens in The Punisher, that she understands why Frank has to effectively um, go spraying bullets around the place as well to protect people and to keep people safe that it's more uncompromising. So I think if them just have to be a little careful with Karen's logic, I think for, for, for these two. I think for me in the, the precinct, I loved Foggy in this. Um, I thought it was great to see Foggy back uh, with Matt. And to be honest, it's kind of what I want to see from Karen, that he understands that Matt has to do this, that yeah. Daredevil is a part of Matt. Yes, he also has to protect his his legal identity as well as his own, but that, you know, he's really helping Matt out here. Um, and he it's finally clicking with him and he's accepting of it that, you know, it doesn't change the fact that he is Matt's friend um, but he's still looking out for for Matt and he's keeping the suit under wraps to protect him as well just from within the precinct. And mm-hmm. um, I love Claire and Colleen's stuff like we, uh, we mentioned earlier. but there's part of this police precinct that that kind of just dragged for me. Um, it, it felt like maybe there was too much time given over to this investigation by the NYPD as to this organization. We didn't see, say, Eckerdarvel or or Trish here. Yeah. Yeah, Presumably, they are still being uh, held there for their own safety. Uh, They weren't involved. So, yeah, to me, I think the the police precinct is is a little bit um, of a drag, actually, in, in, in this episode. And maybe for the series, I understand why it's there. Um, In terms of Misty, I understand in terms of protecting all their friends. But even that kind of storyline where it's like the hand is going to be relentless, um, it it doesn't stop. And then you see actually that the hand is almost on its knees at this stage. They need the substance. A lot of their resources have, have gone. And it's kind of the hand attack once don't actually kill anyone in terms of Karen and Foggy and Trish. And so on, but then they don't come back, so they're obviously not relentless. Again, it's the two-day thing. I think for me, it's the I think the, the the disconnect with the timelines. Maybe you're thinking that this is over a longer period, when in fact it's two days. But there's part of this police precinct stuff, which I think is maybe just overegged for for the series so far. Well, there's definitely the the trope of a TV show where you've got the
0: the captain who won't let Misty do what she wants to do, who you know, and, and her throwing it back in his face, with the heroes standing in the room and him not understanding why we should trust them and believe in them. There is that is absolutely a trope of this type of scene, and probably too much given over to the captain having a problem with them going on and taking on these villains. Yeah, especially given at the start of the series, we know that Luke Cage is the hero of Harlem, so we do know that he is. Uh, he is known within New York as being a hero, so that could have moved could have moved faster. But it's definitely great to spend some time with with Karen and Foggy. I did think early on in the series when we saw all of the friends and family of uh, of the defenders coming in and being put into the precinct. I did think we'd get some more of them. I thought the camera would be focusing on them. Um, we'd have some scenes with them interacting with each other the same way as we get the defenders interacting with each other, which would have been nice. Um, I'm not sure. Whether we're going to get any more of that Darville or, uh, or of, uh, Trish Walker. Um, and hopefully we'll get some more of them in the next episode, but it's a bit of a shame if you have them for a very small amount of time and then they don't do much in it at all in the show. Um, so it is nice to at least have a very good scene with Foggy, um, uh, which could stand within its own
1: Daredevil episode. One of the other things is, where are the Meachams? Um, Like, where's Ward? Where's Joy Meacham? Okay, you know, where are these two people associated with uh, Danny Rand Mm -hmm. and and his business, who he is close to? Um, Well, we know Ward's gone out of the country because it's only two days. And we were told that
0: when Danny went to Rand Enterprises that Ward's out of the country at the moment. But yeah, you're right, Joy, I have no idea. Nobody knows where she is at the moment, I think.
2: Well, we do know she was in um, Paris with Davos and Gao. So That's right. we assume that if Gau's back, potentially she is, but that wouldn't make very much sense. Mm-hmm. So probably say for now, say she's in Paris.
0: Maybe, maybe. Um, but it does lead us to a, the great scene in the episode as they escape from the police precinct. Um, we do get them going on the subway. Uh, what I thought was interesting about this is we've had five seasons of The Defenders... And we've never been on the subway with uh, with any of the characters before. The subway is quite a quite a main tributary in the city of New York, so kind of cool. It's it's very representative of New York, really for me. Anyway, I haven't been over there many times. The subways are a real place that you would um, would lead you to such. Other areas of the city, so so many other areas of the city. So kind of cool to see these three characters on the uh, on the subway going to their going to their mission. You know, it's not like they're getting in their a team van to go off uh, and and fight for this fight. It's oh uh, well, I've got a subway card, so why don't we go on that? Uh, and we do get Jessica stealing a beer from uh, from a bum who's asleep on the train, uh, which is hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> do love that moment, and she's right. It has been a pretty hard week. Yes, exactly. Long day, <laughs> needs a beer. Absolutely. Uh, And then just leading us right up outside, middle and circle, um, Matt does take out his Daredevil outfit and put it on. Did think it was a bit odd. It was in the middle of the street. He normally would do it on a rooftop or an alleyway, but uh, it is a bit odd as the camera pans back from Jessica and Luke having their conversation with Jessica looking at him going, oh, there it is again. (laughs) That Daredevil suit with the horns.
2: Yeah, it's like he went into a phone box. I had this vision that he just did a (laughs) Superman on it. Just kind of like, give me a second. Like... There was the joke, I think it was the Deadpool 2 teaser trailer, mm-hmm. where they have Deadpool changing in a phone box. I had a vision of Matt doing something quite similar. Nice. So he hold on, let me just take take off my pants. Well, uh-huh. I'm just like, waiting, and you have a homeless person outside wanting to use the phone box. Kind of like, <laughs> can Can I get in? Yeah, and then, sorry, just on the, the subway piece, just mm-hmm. because I know we just quickly passed it, but... Um, I've seen a lot of people kind of laugh at that scene on Twitter and so forth, saying that to go anywhere on a deadline uh, using the subway system in New York City is not probable. You're not going to be able to get from one side to the other uh, in, on a fast deadline. <laughs> um, and I thought that people were just slagging that as a kind of like going yeah I, I'll I'll believe you with uh, super strength and slight ability to fly or jump high depending on who you are um, yeah. and a man who can have radar or sonic hearing but uh, no that, that's a stretch too far.
0: I think trains work differently in the Marvel Cinematic Universe remember in, the, in London Thor got on the tube uh, after retrieving Mjolnir, and mo- moved across the city while a fight was going on. Got all the way across the city from one train station to another train station in less than three minutes, which is absolutely impossible if you know the London Yes. Uh, you'd probably just about get to the gate at the front rather than on a train and across the city in three minutes. So
1: Yeah, it depends whether we had good service or whether there were severe delays. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Oh, I, mean, I still don't think he'd be able to do it. It would be hilarious if he didn't mind the gap and he got go. his foot stuck. <laughs> <laughs> right, but I do
0: like—I uh, do like that they've used that again in the defenders. That, uh, that there's another another problem with uh, train transport in the defenders. So.
2: I just love, love the fact that it's a uh, like it's—it's going to have to be that it's Tony Stark, kind of like he's automated all the subway systems and trans public transport systems. He's—he's he's got them running efficiently. Mm-hmm. That they they like you can get one out of New York very quickly on a deadline.
0: Yeah, maybe. I, d- I don't know whether they were on a deadline though. Where are they?
2: Well, they kind of are. Like they have to get to Midland Circle to stop the hand.
0: That, they do, but I don't know whether there's a. I don't know whether there's any kind of timeline. It's not like someone is there. Well,
1: they don't know they don't whether, whether they've timeline. missed yeah. sort of an event or not. Yeah. So they just need to know that they need to get there quickly so that. It optimises their chances of preventing Danny from uh, maybe being killed or, or whatever, because yeah. they, they aren't entirely sure maybe. Whereas they are sat round saying, has, "Has he been killed?" I think Matt says, "Well, no." Stick was saying, he "Needs him alive," so they think he's still alive. Yeah, um, you know. But they're, this, they're trying to race there to save him, whereas the Thor of the Dark World complaint was the
0: fight was going on. He went off and got and got me on their back got on the train came back and the fight was still going on so that's a definite amount of time that he was gone for and impossible on, on the on the tube so um so I don't know about, about that that particular complaint about the uh, about the underground in New York I've always th- found it very efficient personally yeah
2: <laughs> yeah and Jerry, just before we kind of move on to our next point um what I did want to complain about is how they actually got out of the precinct busting a hole in the wall yeah and well one it was done off screen Mm -hmm. like no no if you're gonna do it like just show us Luke Cage busting a hole in the wall
0: true true like
2: and then secondly why busting a hole in the wall I I don't know I was just like really like it wasn't just let us go into a room Matt would somehow like figure out a, a, a sonar way out of the precinct where they see no one and they get out quietly and no one <laughs> ex- knows that they're gone until like 30 minutes later.
0: If you got Luke Cage and Jessica, both who can punch through uh, quite sizable objects, you got to use one of them to punch it, but it should have been shown.
1: Yeah, I suppose as well, I think for, for me on, on them busting the, out of the precinct, it, it's the fact that now in order to preserve mass as a lawyer, they're having to say, Oh, yeah, he was taken by Luke and, and Jessica. That's right, yeah. um, So the presumption now is that, yeah, he's been carried off against his will or something. It puts Luke and Jessica in an even worse light from the, the police pers- perspective. Yeah. Even Misty says something impossible is going to have to happen for them to be able to clear their names. So... Presumably something is because there's a mystical something, which is fairly unprecedented, yeah. but it's like, it, it's really, um, stacking up the, the excuses that are needed to preserve Matt as a, as a lawyer at this stage. And I do, I, I kind of got the feeling that Misty was about to let them go and that the, her chief was kind of buying into her saying, no, they, these guys need, are the ones that need to help. And then it's like they undermined that by, um, yeah. Busting out through the hole, yeah, or, uh, on on the side of the precinct. Yeah, it's Danny's fault, but
0: Jessica and Luke are going to take the blame, which is the sad part. So, um, but we go on to the under middle and circle fight in point four. Really bloody cool fight, I must say. I love the setup for this moment, just the opening of it. Just a nice little, uh, nice little casual reference there when when Matt says uh, we're not alone, as he is able to sense the members of the hand there. And Jessica quips that that's, uh, Michael Jackson deep cut there for, uh, you are not alone. Nice little, uh, nice little gag as we enter there. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I like that there's the setup for it because there is three versus three in here, but they don't go for it straight away. I like that it's Madame Gay taking on Luke and Jessica and, um, Matt taking on Murakami and Bakuto, uh, which is an interesting choice. You should, it should, it would normally just be three on three. There's three there versus three. So they do a good little dance to get them all
1: a bit of FaceTime with each of the fingers of the hand as well. Yeah, this was, this was great. I think, um, not only do we get to see the hand and, you know, the three members of defenders going at it. Um, I liked how it intercut with Danny and electric down deep down, uh, in, in the basement, uh, of Midland circle in, in, in the hole. I thought that was just really, really cool. Uh, I loved Madam Gao, this little rickety old lady taking on Luke and Jessica. Yeah. She's definitely got the force with her. Um, <laughs> and yeah, seeing Matt and, and Murakami and Bakuto uh, going after Matt, I think was, was really good. I, a few moments with Bakuto with his, with his katana where like he, he smashes a load of sort of breeze blocks that are there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Murakami eventually is kind of getting um, attacked and is a, and is attacking Luke. There's uh, a great thing on the bonnet of the car where he, his katana is slicing through the bonnet and it, it does a quick shot underneath um, or seeing it slice through the metal. Yeah. Um, and then you you really have Gao, um, yeah, pushing cars, pushing pallets of bricks uh, towards uh, Luke and Jessica. I think she, she actually takes Luke out, really. And that's when Murakami, like, jumps in Thought it was really good. Some of the sword fight in between Mason and uh, Bakuto and Murakami was great as well. I, I really enjoyed this. Um, and I think it cutting back to Danny and uh, Electra, I think as well was uh, really cool. And I, I really liked uh, Electra's conversation with Danny down uh, underneath Midland Circle as well, I thought that was really cool and yeah, I'll, we'll talk about that more under point five, but um, I, I love that interconnection between these these two fights going on, that for me was the great thing about these two fights that were independently great, uh, but together just that interplay of cutting between them was fantastic for me mm-hmm.
2: This was the standout moment in this whole episode for me yeah, yeah. This was what I wanted. This is what I've been waiting for a while. Um, did it disappoint? No. Did it go exceed my expectations? No. I suppose they've been building up to this moment for such a long time. I was expecting, because they, they gave us a quick tease in the Royal Dragon, mm-hmm. if you will. But they included a few more of the... Um, the kind of henchmen in there as well. So it yeah. was more, it was more hand soldiers and foot soldiers, if you will. Yeah. Uh, anyway, this <laughs> this one, Um, like I really did not like, okay, having Gao fight as she did, like she has some form of like, she pushes with a force and then that pushes objects forward. So when, is she like, like that I couldn't understand. Is it she was making the art movements Mm-hmm. And then it was almost like she was forcing the air and the air was pushing the
0: objects. Yeah, it's the same same move that she used when she opened the door at Royal Dragon to get out onto the into the back area. It's the same move that Electra used to get into the Royal Dragon as well. So we've definitely seen her use this. It does really feel like the Force though, yeah.
2: Yeah, I love the way that they did, they split the battle into like the Luke and Jessica versus Gao versus the rest, uh, Matt versus the rest. I wanted more of that. I yeah, yeah. like like seeing Matt take on two massive members of the hand was fantastic. It really mm-hmm. was. Like he it shows that he has upskilled, he's leveled up, if you will. Um, in being like he was doing the flipping, he was the jumping, he was Yeah. Like
0: t- He is the he is the trained warrior, and this is what Stick had set him up to be the one that was trained to take on the hand. Yes. So um, so, even though he never took up Stick on the, what he thought was an offer, it was never an offer from Stick. That's what he was being trained to do, was take on the hand. So, it's really good seeing him take on uh, these proper, proper villains.
1: Yeah, it's great to see that he's got the skills to take two members uh, in the hand uh, on, to be honest. Um, I think. I suppose that's why Stick was so disappointed, um, that he wasn't involved in the fight, which we kind of get at the start. Yeah. Uh, with his conversation with, with Electra, where he really wants Matt on board. So he, yeah, he's definitely the most skilled, probably other than Danny, you know, uh, whereas, you know, Luke does have, um, the boxing skills, mm-hmm. but he is a bit more, uh, raw, I think, with, with his techniques. Um, and obviously Jessica, she is more the investigative journalist and, and uh, PI. Yeah, here. she has power, but not. She has power, to and I think, it. yeah, it, it's more the training on on how to to use it, as we've kind of mentioned before. But uh, yeah, I, I, I love this. But do you guys have any kind of inkling? Did you like the car park kind of basement setting here in Midland Circle? You know, when you think back to say Bakuto, Davos, and Danny there in that. Gorgeous setting around Central Park. Yeah, um, even some sort of the previous, just within the hallways, say, or of, of um, Meacham's uh, apartment there as well. You, you kind of think back that this is certainly down and dirty and grimy, and mm-hmm. I, I love that. But is there any kind of sense that maybe? Somewhere with a bit more light would have been great. Absolutely.
0: We're not finished the series. There is definitely another episode to go, and all these characters are still alive. So I do feel this was a precursor to the final battle.
2: But that's going to be underground.
0: Perhaps, yeah. Not overground. But it does make sense in the series to have the battle here. But you're right, it does feel much more like a set. It feels like there are the fight was taking place with different moments to happen with, you know, the why is there a set of, of building blocks or three yeah. sets of building blocks in this particular um car park where cars are parked as well? It's not like this is part of the building site because Midland Circle just got built. There is genuinely a car parked right next door to a pile of bricks, which is very unusual in a brand new building that's open for business, you know? Um, I thought that was a bit odd, but it did give us some great moments where was oh, able to punch bricks and, and, and crack them in half and... Um, as you say, uh, Bakuto is able to
1: knock a couple of bricks out of the way yeah. with his sword and stuff. I think. Quite cool. Coming back to Bakuto's sword skills as well, I love the fireball ignition that he does um, there with his katana, sort of doing the little click along the floor. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Yeah. Right after Murakami has broken open the the pipe, isn't it the, the gas pipe?
0: Yeah. And we do get another use of Luke Cage's unbreakable skin here as he uh, as he pushes the fireball back into its hole and closes cool. the pipe to stop it. So. um yeah, that's quite cool. Yeah.
2: It was just uh, the, the disappearance. Like, the, it was literally mm-hmm. the Batman almost. Oh, yes. They decided to lean into this so much. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, no, the hand are actually also like, the, okay, Gothamites, help me here. uh uh-huh. The League that the trains Batman.
0: Yes, it's the League of Assassins. That's it. Or the League of Shadows in the movies, because they didn't want to call them assassins. There you go. Okay. Yes, it's definitely a trained technique. But to be honest, I did look this up because I'm a bit of a nerd after asking the question three times and nobody responding with the answer that I, that I wanted. This is a ninja technique. This is something that they're well known for as ninjas disappearing uh, out of view as people are looking away. It's definitely from... A ninja skill set. So, um, so it does, Ah, it does seem like something that the hand would learn how to do over time is to be able to move and, and look like they disappear. And they're not disappearing. It's not a magic trick. It's just something that a ninja would know how to do is to get out of the way and distract people from your current location so you can move away. That's what it's from. Okay. But Gao does move very fast in comparison to how she moves. Uh, in other other moments. Yeah, but it,
1: it's like Yoda. It keeps people thinking and underestimating her. Absolutely. She is Yoda. She is, she is. Although evil Better. Yoda. Yeah. Evil Yoda, Better. definitely.
0: Before we go on from this this battle, we have the appearance of our fifth defender, which we mentioned earlier on. Uh, Colleen coming and joining the gang at a perfect moment, just as any hero would, uh, comes in to stop um Bakuto from taking out Matt, her former master and saying not this time. So gets her, gets her proper superhero uh, intro in here and then joins the defenders for the rest of the episode and probably right into episode eight. Now she's,
1: she's now central to the team. Yeah, no, I I liked, uh, I liked this, um, a, her coming in and, and and helping out. I thought that, that, that to me feels right for Colleen to be doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, then, um, despite how she um, acquired the Semtex and the building explosives and oh, the yeah. plans, and very quickly putting that all together, despite her, I, I like the conversation that they had about bringing down the building to, to kill all of the hands and Matt being in agreement. And I think that certainly fitted nicely with Claire having previously said about Luke, you know, finding his North and and that he's, he's going to where he needs to be to help other people. And then Luke questioning this. And certainly Jessica as well, from her kind of PI point of view, that we can add domestic terrorism uh, to our our list of uh, reasons for arrest. Mm -hmm. And I really, uh, I thought that was good and it was great to see kind of Matt kind of say, you know, this is what we should be doing. We have to put an end to to the hand, and this is the best way. And um, so it'll be interesting whether that actually happens. Now, are they going to yeah. do a a full scale demo of this building?
0: Yeah, it does seem very odd to have Matt in so total agreement to begin with, because he has been so against death and so against killing and so against murder. And the opening scene between Elektra and and Stick that the flashback. Effectively says that Matt isn't like them. He won't kill on command. Um, whereas here, Colleen's coming to him with a really good proposal of blowing up the building and killing all of the hand that are underneath. And Matt's the one that's first in agreement. So I
1: think well, that's he, he's because his his uh, back sense has basically said there is no one else yeah. in the building other than them and uh, the hand. Yeah, it, it is just interesting to
0: have that both of those scenes in the same episode, though topic and in the episode where Matt's not going to kill anybody at all, says Electra, and then at the end of the episode, he is going to agree to kill some members of the Hand um, at the suggestion of Colleen. So maybe it's just about the presentation to Matt. Uh, maybe that's how that is. It just depends on who it is that presents him with this idea. He doesn't kill on command, I suppose. He doesn't kill without questioning at first, I suppose is the point.
1: Yeah, but I think uh, moving on to our fifth and final point, uh, with Danny and Electra down in the belly of Midland Circle and The Gateway... I have to say I, I'm torn um, and in two minds over this because I really enjoyed Electra uh, and Danny uh, having that conversation down in in, in uh, the belly of Midland Circle where Danny is kind of like a Hannibal Lecter light uh, strapped up on the trolley without the hockey mask as well. <laughs> um, but I really enjoyed her talking about how she has freed herself from her master's um, and you know, you have tried to do the same by she's interpreting it as him leaving Kunlun. You know, the only thing he was meant to do was to protect Kunlun, and he wanted to do more and, and, and find out about his parents and come back to New York in the same way. Electra's only purpose was to be a servant of the hand, and she has thrown down her masters and killed them. And I really enjoyed that conversation between the two of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately, Danny kind of going against that, saying, my masters also taught me loyalty, um, which kind of gets a mocking sort of retort from Electra. I really liked that. And I also have to say, the gateway was beautiful. I loved the water reflecting on it. Yeah, it was, definitely. But we'll talk about
0: very important lines that you might miss in a TV show. Well, definitely, we are seven episodes into The Defenders after watching thirteen episodes of Iron Fist with the mystery of what happened to Conlon, and it's dropped in a line from Elektra, and I must admit I had to turn the on the subtitles, bubbles. rewind it to watch and see what she says. She is the one that killed all of the all of the members in Conlon. She is the one that killed
1: everybody involved in Iron, what? Iron Fist and is bringing yeah, up. Yeah. So basically, they're, the, after their fight, and I think she's chucked him into the, the water and it's just before he ignites his, his Iron Fist. It's the reason he... And, back to and Fist, it's, yeah. yeah, it's the reason he does it. And she kind of comes over him and whispers in his ears that you should have heard their screams when I killed um, them, referring to Conlon, Long. Mm-hmm. Um, and that obviously then sets... Uh, Danny losing his cool, the chi getting turned on, uh, and so on. So really, really interesting. I, I thought this whole sort of interplay between Electra and Danny up to this point was, uh, amazing. Um, I thought the gateway looked really cool as well, but I, I don't know about you guys. For me, I'm thinking, why was the gateway hidden for so long? Because actually the mystery is now what's behind it. I thought it was such a really cool set with the water on it. And obviously with the kind of industrial kind of construction stuff going on around it. And um, I wish we had kind of seen this gateway sooner in the episode that it hadn't been made as much of, of, of an issue. And certainly with the fact of maybe how it was brought down and, um, I thought, yeah, that that's where I'm torn here, and I'm torn with how it was broken through. To be honest, as well,
2: I actually missed that line. Right. So I'm actually now kicking myself because I'm like, I I watch this intently, mm-hmm. like I like it's not like I just kind of like lie back and kind of I take notes on this. So to see that that's a drop, that's a major drop, and that's a oh shit, we haven't said anything about this we have not told the world and that's the that's the writers copying that as they were writing episode seven yeah oh shit we we forgot to put this somewhere ah let's put it here it's a good reason to kind of get him angry yes it is a good reason
0: because it was genuinely i thought she'd said something like you're a stupid little boy or something i just genuinely couldn't hear the line and was going that's triggered him quite significantly i wonder what she said there Oh, I still can't hear is Oh, I'll put on the subtitles. What?
1: She killed everybody in Kunmon and watched them scream as they died? Yeah. That's a significant moment. Yeah, it was a massive moment. Um and yeah, I mean it took a while for us to actually clock it. But um it's and it's important for here for Danny effectively firing up his cheek yeah. and losing his cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't think the gateway should have been this be all and end all. Like it would have been nice to have seen Alexandra at, at the, the foot of it with Gao and Murakami and Bakuto at some point in this series. Yeah. And I think um, the other aspect here is the first time I watched this through, I didn't see Electra with her size channeling Danny's fist onto the door. And I felt very disappointed where they had kind of made, again, Danny to look as though he was stupid. He was behaving sort of immaturely in some way or not really thinking through his decisions. And the second time I watched it, I, you definitely see that as he throws a punch, um, she clasps um, the two sides that she has around his fist and twists him to break down the barrier. However, the scene before that still, it is the idea that I think Danny has said a line along the lines of, um, I know what you want and you're not going to get it from me. And yet she kind of brings him towards the door, encourages him through, and I'm kind of there going, you have had 15, 16, 17 years of very disciplined training at the hands of uh, like ninja kung fu masters in Kun and your self-control and discipline, which I know he has a problem with, is completely breaking down, because he moves towards the door, and I've Okay. I'm maybe being really pedantic here. Um, but there's part of me going, you've just increased your chance of hitting that door. Yet behind him is the exit. So I would be kind of going, see you later and running out of the door, yeah, uh, back up the lift with her having to really work for, for that door to come down. But I do think it's a difficult, um, scene for the writers to kind of contrive and to and, and to write because, you know, getting him uh, against his will to break down this door, to fire up even the chi that we know he's had problems controlling in the past. I, I thought it was a difficult scene, but it just did make me feel that Danny was being, again, put forward as this te- tempestuous... Um, Childish. Yeah, well, child, I don't even want to say child I mean, they keep saying that That he's the youngest and all this But he's still over 20 He's not 13 or 12 Or something like that This is a guy who has had significant training in Kanban To be disciplined He meditates, he focuses his mind And yet He loses it And that's the thing, he can't maintain the discipline And I've never really understood The Iron Fist to just lose all his control and discipline once the, the, the Iron Fist is fired up. Now remember, yeah, there is definitely two things in this
0: scene that are easily missed and cause a much bigger problem for the scene. The scene obviously not knowing that Elektra that killed all of all the people in Kundun, and that's what fires Danny up particularly. And then secondly, not seeing that she grabs the hand by the size and throws it into the wall. It could have been done a lot better. It could have been done bigger. It could have been her in the battle with Danny, where he's throwing the fist at her and she kicks her, him over her head into the wall or something like that, where there is an opportunity that it's a total success of Electra to win this battle with the iron fist and force him to use the fist, something like that. But you're right, there should have been the opportunity of him running out the door because yes. he's right there. It's that he wants to use the iron fist to beat Electra here because she's just told him of what's happened to the people that he was supposed to protect.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I I think even it could have been some kind of mystical way where they could have used some kind of some mystical technique to fire up his chi. Again, it could have been Alexandra's skill. Again, there's part of me here just wondering whether, um, given the time spent at the precinct, given the time in episode one, re, uh, you know, reconnecting the The four defenders to the audience, at least people maybe who haven't seen the 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 individual shows before. I love that. I'm not going to take it away, but maybe ten episodes could have been mm-hmm. a, a a better fit for this, just so that it, it's not rushed, so that we could have seen something of Alexandra's power. Maybe it was her who had the power to be able to direct or control Danny Rand to use his chi. Uh, to against the door, but we haven't um, even talked about the ending of the episode. I know that, or we'll talk about it in
0: a second. But even just that, is this a gateway back to Kundun? If it is, then isn't that the way to convince Danny how you to open the door? Convince him that to get back to the people of Kundun or to the city of Kundun, you need to break down the door. And if you have that worked into the conversations that are going on between him and Alexandra or him and Electra, then then that could encourage him to open the door for himself to get back to Cumberland and protect it from them. Some Something around that where you convince him or you give the information to the other members of the Defenders so they convince him. It feels like this was set up in Episode 2. The minute it was set up in Episode 2, you knew they weren't setting it up without that door breaking down by a fist going through. (laughs) It was definitely going to happen. But it does feel a little
1: bit sloppy in this episode, and once again, unfortunately, it makes Danny look a bit idiotic for doing it. That's my main complaint. Yeah. here is how Danny is made to uh, appear, um, and that's why I'm torn because actually everything leading up to it, and um, even the way uh, kind of a lecture does ultimately get the size round him, is is a nice way uh, of doing it. But I really like this whole scene between Electra and Danny. And, um, but it's more how Danny looks as just being this idiot. And I, I think that comes back to what Chris had said in the last episode from Ashes Ashes that Danny seems to be this, the member of the defenders that everything has been put on uh, as to why everything's going wrong mm-hmm. or the hand are winning. And I, I think that's slightly unfair uh, on this character to be honest.
2: So I'm going to come in on this kind of part. So they telegraphed this since episode two. Yes. Derek, as you said. Big time. So. Like, there was no way that Danny's fist was not going through that massive stone wall at the beginning. Yes. Could they have done it better? Yeah, they, they could have. As you said, like they could have kind of charged him, kind of manipulated him into thinking he was going home. And that he he could close the door after, so that the, he opened it. He was going back to Kung Lung, and then he was closing it, and that was how he was going to get home. Mm-hmm. That's how they could have done it. I'm wondering if if this was done for the audience, right? In that you have to remember, majority of this audience is potentially not majority, but like a large part is probably quite new to these characters. So they wouldn't understand Danny's feverish, wanted return to Kung Lung.
0: Because oh, that's yeah. how
2: we got that through Iron Fist.
0: Yeah, agreed. And yeah. totally understood, but I think this is the slight part of the challenge for the Defenders so far. And I'm not going to get too into it because we still have another episode to go. But part of the problem with the Defenders is that the, you take the the Cliff Notes version of each of these four characters and you turn them into the Defenders. You have Matt the Blind, Laurie, you have... Jessica, the sassy uh, talking P.I. You've got Luke Cage, the unbreakable skinned former uh, prisoner. And then you have Danny Rand, the young upstart guy who causes everything bad to happen. Like, that's not the way you build up a hero. No, it's not not fair to his character. And it's not fair to the audience who did watch Iron Fist. You could have done this and kept the integrity of the Danny Rand character. It's nothing to do with the acting. It's to do with the situations he seems to be put in. In this series, again, the start of the season, the first six episodes, I was totally rooting for Danny Rand. And then something happened in episode six where he got caught, where he's fighting against the defenders. And he does something that is very unusual for Danny Rand, where he's, I'm all out of calm, that whole scene. And then in this episode, something else has just happened where they've put Danny in a position where he has to do something that would be
1: completely against the Danny Rand character. Absolutely. And I think a really interesting kind of conversation that we had, um, sort of off the podcast, but I, I, think it's something that I, you know, is important for this conversation is, you know, Danny Rand has a singular vision of destroying the hand. That's very much in alignment with stick to me, the one member of the defenders who, um, could bring about this, um, sort of grayer, uh, or pose more of a threat to how the defenders tackle the hand is Matt Murdoch because of his emotional and loving relationship with Elektra and and how that could complicate Matt's behaviour and decision making as a member of the defenders. Um, Because I do think that Danny's decision making is quite clear He is destroy the hand. Yes, Matt's is, but it's complicated by the fact that his former girlfriend, someone who's very close to Electra, is their main weapon, and now is taking on her dark role and dark side. So uh, I thought, you know, there are other ways in which complications could have arisen here for the defenders, rather than simply, oh, he's the youngest. You know, he's made tenest decisions or something. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I think Danny's clarity of thought is would probably lead to a fairly definite course of action in the same way that sticks where would always have done. Absolutely. Can we talk about the final scene then?
2: Yeah,
0: I think it's time. I think this is the coolest looking scene in all of the Defenders shows so far. Um, no, I wanted to get a tattoo immediately on oh, an Iron Fist. It's very cool. As, as Danny wakes up, the camera pans back and there is a dragon in the shape of the Iron Fist tattoo. Skeleton version of a dragon. Yeah. Underneath Danny Rand as he wakes up. This is fantastic. We never got to see the dragon in Iron Fist. We just got to see some red eyes. The size of it kind of puts into perspective the job or the task that the Iron Fist had to take out the
1: molten heart of, of Xiao Lao, the Undying. Yeah, well, I mean, we're assuming it is Xiao Lao, um, who's still dead. Yes. Um, the well, it looks dead pretty dragon. dead to me. Very dead. Uh, yeah, very <laughs> dead. Um, yeah, no, that was the the dragon bones in the shape of the Iron Fist symbol, I thought, was like... So cool! Oh god, I was so happy. Yeah, I wanted to get loads of tattoos of that symbol all cool. over my body. Just the one, I think. I don't think you yeah, get tattoos you know. of all over your body, but, you, you know, yeah. I thought that would have been really cool. It was interesting. We did look um, up Shaolau Lao on uh, on the internet on wi- on Wiki, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of its weaknesses is that if the symbol is covered then he's vulnerable or will die or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Um but we didn't know whether it was the symbol on Danny Rand's chest, which means like he hasn't shown this at all, so no wonder Xiao Lao is still dead. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> and actually it's the worst weakness you could possibly
0: have. Every time Danny Ran wears a t-shirt, Shao Lao can be killed, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's very bizarre. But I think it's I think it's the dragon mark on Xiao Lao himself, so he doesn't wear very many t-shirts. That size that we know of. <laughs> there would definitely be a big and tall dragon store that we'd need to go to to uh, to get a t-shirt for him. Well,
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> so I thought this was amazing, but I have so many more questions. Of course, is the well one is the substance Shoulu bones? Is that what they are? Is like that? Is that Xiao Lao? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, exactly. Is Maybe. this a
2: portal? Was the the the, the door a portal to Kunlun? Is this a another place? Danny killed Shao Lao. Yeah, yeah. But was that in or around Kung Lung, or is it in like a different Heavenly City where potentially like there's an eighth or ninth? I don't know. John Yuen into. I know there is one that is kind of like hell. There's this Heavenly City that's like hell.
1: Yeah, I think it's definitely that Shao Lao is close to Kung Lung. Mm -hmm. Um, It's within that same realm. Or, or mystical city area, combined authority, if you will. So, yeah, so many questions here. Absolutely. Like, is this seems, or you would think it's the cave where Shaolau uh, was defeated by Danny, and that you go through that and you get to Kun Lun. Yeah, is the substance further on somewhere else, or as you say, is it the crushed up bones or of one of the undying dragons, which would make them less undying um, than before? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think this is where I think, like, that's that's the fantastic mystery of that gateway here. And that's why, as soon as knowing it was a door to be opened, you wanted to see the door and build it up to have this moment where, yeah, just seeing that cavernous space with the dead dragon and again, Electra's nowhere to be seen here, so like what's she doing? Yeah. Has she gone off into the cave? Um is are the hand or the members of the hand coming down? Do they know that this is now open? You know, has their evil bat sense started tingling? So
2: interjection.
1: This can't
2: be Kung Lung. They already went to Kung Lung and killed everyone there. They do not need to get back to Kung Lung to get the substance.
1: See? That's what we think. So we don't know whether there's a load of red herrings being played out here by, by Electra. So she says that in the cave. But alternatively, she could be just saying it to get him riled up to ignite his iron fist. We still don't know whether Kung Lung just moved or whether it was... I mean, it did look like it had been blown up off the side of the mountain. Alexander had yep. an indication that Kunlun is still around. Yeah. And we speculated
0: before in one of our previous episodes that what the hand, the leaders of the Hand were looking for was a way back to Kunlun, where they would live out their days because they were banished from Kunlun, like the devils being banished from heaven. that um, they were banished from Kunlun and sent out into the world of... and sent out into the earth, which is effectively this crappy realm where they get older and older and have to take care of themselves, that by going back to Kunlun, getting the substance, they could live there for many, many millennia, uh, and they were banished from it. So that's what we'd speculated about. I do think Kunlun still exists. I think it's uh, the inhabitants of Kunlun that have been killed by Electra. That's what I was speculating about.
2: Yes, no, what I'm saying is they got to Kunlun before, okay? Mm -hmm. So they they were there. They killed everyone, potentially or potentially not, they killed everyone. Mm-hmm. So they were able to go there. So unless it moved, yes, then there is no need for this door.
0: And we believe it has, because when Danny and Colleen got back to it, the city itself was not in the same place
1: where they left from it, or where Danny left from it. But yeah. this may have been that type of mystical fire escape. <laughs> basically, yeah. like By that I mean, I know in the... Yeah, in the Immortal Weapon um, series on, on the Iron Fist, there are ways of getting back to Earth uh, outside of the, the general cycle. Yes. And I suppose because this is a door that is both sealed and can only be opened using the Immortal Iron Fist, that ultimately kun is blocked off and it's like an emergency exit or something like that. But certainly... I, I am assuming it's Kun Lun on the basis that, again, Gao said, says in this episode that we're close to getting back to Kun Lun uh, by opening this door. Or at least the Hand believe that that's where this door leads to. But yeah, maybe not. I mean, I suppose we just have to wait for the next episode. It makes total sense. Like, if you're going to build your emergency
0: exit to get back into the world, you build it right behind the dragon, Shaolai the Undying. And when he's not there... Sure, you have the Iron Fist to protect the gateway anyway. So you're grand unless <sighs> the Iron Fist gives up his position and goes to New York to go and, uh, to go and take down the hand. Yeah, like that, that's effectively, I can understand. That's why you build this gateway. It always felt like something that is, that was created in the comic books as a great story to start off the character that he lived in a city that didn't happen in this plane for 15 years. And then the city's disappeared. And he's left back in, in the world and then you kind of go oh shit now we can't use that city for 15 years we have to make another way back into the city so um so yeah i, I would say there are other ways in i'm sure someone like dr strange might be able to find his way into the city of kongdom outside of that every 15 year cycle don't you okay that
2: makes sense look it's just it was just for me i was just like well what hold it me
0: <laughs> nice <laughs> I think it's on to notes. Um that's I think all it is. That's all the top five points that we had. Uh, just one note I just thought was quite interesting about the uh, the song used in opening of the episode. A lot of people will recognize the song, uh, Where They Sleep Last Night, from Nirvana Unplugged, quite a popular live show of Nirvana during the 90s. Uh, I just thought it was quite interesting that they chose this because Marco Ramirez did say that he was going for kind of a 90s grunge rock kind of feeling for the, the Defenders. They are street characters. They are people that are... They don't live in high buildings like Tony Stark does. They don't have a huge amount of money at their command. So he did, did feel them as much more of a garage rock band um, rather than a team-up, rather than the Avengers of the Netflix universe. He just felt like they were much more of a, a garage band getting together to take on this one big tour, um, which I thought was quite interesting. They also used a, a version of Come As You Are by Nirvana for the trailer for the show. And I know he was hugely impressed with that. So having a, another song that's reminiscent of that kind of 90s era grunge rock was quite cool in this episode.
1: If only they had more Pearl Jam.
2: Eddie Vedder yeah. versus Kurt Cobain. The fellow Defenders are going to go into Civil War. That's how it happens <laughs> That's for how us. it
1: happens.
0: And weirdly, I'm not, I'm not even a Nirvana fan. I'm just also not a Pearl Jam fan. But, wow. but no, Eddie Vedder was over on uh, over on Twin Peaks anyway. So he I'm bear. a fan of both. Yeah. I also like in the opening of the episode, um, with Stick and Electra's conversation, I like that the conversation ends with a stick saying, more death is coming, we got to stay out of its way. And both of those characters are now dead. Uh, the <laughs> has returned from the dead now, but I do like that this conversation is between two dead people uh, giving out about the fact that Matt won't join them and saying we need to get
1: out of the way of death. And both of them have been
0: killed since that scene
1: was effectively took place. Yeah, I enjoyed Misty's line uh, where she's been speaking with Claire in the precinct and then she goes, wait a minute, where's the chick with the sword? And <laughs> she realised that Colleen is nowhere to be found uh, in the same room as Claire and in the precinct. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to see Misty get involved. We see her there at Midland Circle uh, at the end saying, how long do you need me to uh, keep the, the cops off you? And I I, I like that. I, I'm really looking forward to seeing to, uh, what extent in the final episode she gets involved yeah. and gets stuck in to the fight. I suspect a lot, given some of the images that have been floating around, uh, on the, on the internet. But we're not gonna spoil those. No. Uh, there's just one
0: last point that I have, which you kind of side, kind of mentioned, John, during the episode. I just think it's a little bit odd that Colleen picks up the explosives and the plans from Midland Circle. She doesn't know of these, as far as I'm aware. Um, that was a Jessica Jones plotline where Jessica went into the apartment block, found the architect's apartment, which was full of the explosives. Misty was there as well, so she's seen the explosives, took them into the into the evidence room, and um, so I just think I I, I know I wanted Colin back in the show. I'm really glad they involved her. I'm really glad that she is now a, a powerful character making this decision to take down Midland Circle. I think that's a great idea for her character. I think we missed a conversation. Uh, at some point where she's told about all of these uh, being there. I don't think that's happened in any of the episodes. I don't remember anybody telling Colleen about go into the uh, evidence room, restoring all of this explosives. And you'll also find the plan to middle and circle, so I don't know whether she knew what she was looking for when she went in.
2: Just a just a point on that. That's a really shoddy police office or police um, oh, big time. Like the the fact that she was able to sneak into the evidence locker and she was just rummaging through. She just didn't like need to. <laughs> That, no, not everything can be explained away <laughs> by
1: Digis. <laughs> Even the local police station in Hot Fuzz had a keypad mm-hmm. on the the evidence room.
2: Yes. It's like, especially when you're storing explosives, yes. swords
0: guns, drugs. If it was just the plans for Midland Circle I could understand why they may not be under lock and key if it was just some files that were in there but yeah this is the evidence locker this is explosives maybe that's the storage room before they go into the evidence locker it's two days is all they have here but still (laughs) storing explosives for domestic terrorism, as Jessica Jones puts it, in a uh, in a room that's unlockable and easily able to get into, yeah,
1: probably not a great idea. Just a quick thought, though, on on that that's come to me is there is that strange moment in the precinct where Colleen is looking at the evidence board in um, yes. in one of the rooms. Um, and you're kind of like What's she looking at And I, I couldn't really follow it And I was wondering Okay what's going on there Is it just all the people That have been killed by the hand That that's coming to play But maybe Just maybe That's where she connected the dots Very good John. The, um, the explosives Yes very good I apologise Yes that's uh, that's
0: in Misty's office That's all of the connections That are going on in this case yeah, okay, all right, I see that. But again, they should definitely have kept those under, uh, under se- severe lock and key.
2: Do your job better.
0: <laughs> Actually, Misty's working for a, a bigger agency in New York now, isn't she? She's not even just Harlem anymore. Yeah, so, she's, yeah, so, so it's even bigger, and they've made a bigger mistake than the Harlem. So
2: why York, is anyway. her captain still her captain then? It's a new captain. Is that the uh, captain from the new New York uh, agency? Mm-hmm. Like, that the, the, like, is that who he is, or is that just the new... Captain for the uh, the the precinct that she's in, and if that was the case, she could just kind of turn around and go, "You're not my
0: boss." <laughs> I think I think there is people that really love be, Steel. She does lead up a team, but she's yeah, not she's on of... a task force. Ah. Yeah, yeah. I think with that, that's all the notes I had. Any any other notes, Yes? No.
2: Nothing from my side, unfortunately. Very little Easter
0: eggs that I could find. Speaking of Easter eggs, I was really expecting there'll be something in the police department. This is where we've seen the Stan Lee um poster yeah. before many times. We've seen the Stanley poster in this series, so maybe that's the only Stanley Cameo that they're gonna get. I did really expect there was going to be a poster on one of the walls there, but
2: anyway. I was just shocked. This whole season has been Easter egg light. And for if there was ever an opportunity to go heavy with the nods and the and everything in particular, it would be fine.
0: But See, I like, don't agree with you, Chris. I think it's been really Easter egg heavy, but just those Easter eggs refer to the five TV shows that we've watched, not the comic books. I think that's the big difference of the show. They've made the choice to lean really heavily into the shows that we've already watched. So if you've come on board and you're only a Jessica Jones fan, you'll see some things that you'll recognize, but if you've watched all five shows, you'll definitely have some Easter eggs that are connected to those shows before.
2: I suppose, I, I, say, I understand where you're coming from, but I would, look, I would have preferred that plus the comic book nods, like back when season one of Daredevil, where we got the Gladiator, mm-hmm. like nods to Melvin. They were cool. And that's kind of what I was more expecting, where we would get... Like, some form of castaway comment about a a dude who shaved a uh, target into his forehead. Like, something like that. Like, just those odd nods. Castaway comments that Mm. could lead up to the the season threes and the next seasons of the other shows.
0: Well, let's see what we get on episode eight of The Defenders. Before that, Chris, do you defend the seventh episode of The Defenders, Fish in a Jailhouse?
2: Yes, I do, but I'm coming in to say that this is potentially close to one of the weakest of the episodes we've had to date, of the of the eight. I'm classing the eighth because it's a finale and I'm assuming it will be quite good. This is what I would class, it's down there, in one of the very weakest. Right. Um, we get a lot of exposition, we get a lot of uh, answers. Now, the, the saving grace for this episode very much was seeing the fingers of the hand fight the defenders. That was amazing. It was fantastic. It was exactly what I've always wanted. Could it have been longer? Yes. What took it down was a lot of the curious writing choices for the show and for where they wanted to take some of the plots. Why Why was it shot and directed that way? Why was it written that way? There's, There's some lingering questions I have. Now we could be completely gobsmacked and they could answer all of these questions in episode eight. So I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. But the, the biggest one is the one John brought up. And I'm kind of stealing his thunder by saying it now. Why the hell did Danny do it? Like he has control. He is a trained, like, he, he, sh- he should not be that silly to open the portal for them. And I know there was it was Electra's spinning, but no, if he had such control on his chi he should be able to wink out the chi of his iron fist before it hit the wall. But no, we it was telegraphed, we knew it was coming. Yeah. But if you're gonna telegraph it that far in advance, you surprise the audience by not doing that. That's my point. Right. So overall it was a penultimate. Was it one of the better penultimates? No. Like, we've had better penultimates across all the other episodes and seasons. I'm not hating, hating on it because it wasn't that bad. It was just they some weird choices. So overall, yes, I defend it, but it was the weakest, one of the weakest Defenders episodes so far. Right. Derek, do you defend this episode? Of the defenders,
0: I do defend this episode of the defenders. I think it's one of those ones that had to happen. Um, I totally agree with both of you guys and what you're what you're saying about uh, about Danny being pushed into opening that door. Definitely should have happened in a different way. Um, it feels like a bit of a cop out and feels like a bit of another bad scene for unfortunately for Danny Rand, who I really enjoyed in this season. Um, But other than that, it had some of my favourite moments, the battle with the Hand uh, versus the Defenders. Totally understand now why Alexandra is dead, because you can't have four members of the Hand versus three members of the Defenders. Of course she was going to die. Again, another another reason for that setup. Unless Colleen joined the Defenders in episode six, um, she was never going to survive past that episode. Uh, But yeah, I really enjoyed it overall as an episode, but didn't like that moment towards the ending to get us to the ending. And the ending had the best shot that has happened in this entire season. It made it feel epic in scale. So um, I, I will definitely defend this episode.
1: And finally, John, do you defend episode seven of The Defenders? I do defend uh, this episode of The Defenders. I would give this um, three bloody dripping white sheets out of five. I do. I think I'm just torn with this. I There was so many elements of this um, that I really enjoyed. Um, in particular, Electra and Danny. One thing I didn't mention again: I love the violins that play uh, as Danny's theme with him. That came out uh, down in uh, under the Midland Circle with that that whole scene between Danny and Electra. I thought was really, really good up mm-hmm. until the crunch moment. I think for me, and that's what that's why I'm torn on it. Um, and i think i loved how it interplayed with the battle up in the the parking lot of midland circle again really um really very cool i loved the the aftermath of that sort of massive moment in in episode 6 with the defenders at the precinct and the uh the hand with electra standing over uh, Alexandra's decapitated sort of bloody body and it, the the streak of blood going away. There was so much in, in this episode uh, that I really, really enjoyed. Um, but I think for me, this is the first episode where I am just wondering about the pacing in the sense that I actually wouldn't change anything uh, of the previous episodes. There could have been another two episodes just to allow, I think, um, some more space to breathe especially for the writers in, in, in order to allow how danny punches through that wall when it's been telegraphed as has been said for so long uh, to to open up that gateway and i think as well i think i wish we had seen the gateway beforehand because it ultimately what lies beyond that gateway, is the thing that is the big uh, mystery, not the gateway itself, as has been kind of led up in in previous episodes. Uh, At least once we found out it was a gate and required a key to open that lock, rather than maybe being some kind of artifact or or something else, certainly from Daredevil Season 2 and and, and so on. I think it's just undermined for me, and it it really tears me up, Uh, inside uh, with regards to Danny and how he's just being portrayed as being a bit of an idiot really Um, as well uh, leading to all these kind of fairly catastrophic decisions that are being made I don't think that's his character quite frankly and I I think it plays into a lot of what maybe some of the criticisms of, of the Iron Fist series as well so that it just kind of Slightly disappointed me, really, but I did actually really like this um, episode, and I would absolutely give that final scene five dragon bones spread out in the Iron Fist logo out of five. <laughs> um, that was truly fantastic for me. Um, really cool stuff. And um, the conversation between Danny and... Uh, Danny and- Electra as well. Yeah, absolutely. Top-notch stuff. Um, I think there's just a few things that really sort of undermine it for me uh, generally. But yeah, three uh, bloody dripping white sheets out of five. Excellent. So that
0: is three... Defends on the penultimate episode of The Defenders. Hopefully some of those little things that we didn't like about this episode aren't repeated in the finale. Looking forward to getting into it. But before we do, I think it's time to get into some feedback. So you can send us any feedback you want to about the entire series of The Defenders uh, over at feedback at podcast.com or come and join us over on our Facebook group at Facebook.com slash groups slash podcast kick off with the first piece of feedback from Conman Stevens who says damn it police stop getting in the way of the vigilantes
1: <laughs> absolutely and damn it police precinct stop getting in the way of a, a good quick fire story Aye, and Michael Booth says as soon as they started fighting in front of
0: the door you knew that was only one way it was going to end yeah. Yep. Sadly. I yep. think we knew the first time that uh, Madame Gao said there is a door that can only be opened by the Iron Fist She, yeah. uh, back in episode two. We knew that's where it was going, unfortunately.
1: Yeah. Tina Brown says the police issues get a little tiresome and cookie cutter trope. The stubborn boss. Misty. Damn it. Don't you ever play by the rules night etc but for the most part i loved the character interactions absolutely i think some of the character interactions in the precinct um were really um spot on and i think some of them were really cool as well and um, particularly foggy and matt colleen Claire, uh, and misty it's a shame we didn't get malcolm and trish there as well from yeah. jessica's side i i think everybody well. else featured this episode so it feels like they should have been there in the section. Yeah. Conor Stevens goes, I honestly felt the series story had really run out of steam here and I wasn't all that invested in it. But the amazing acting and interactions of the main cast kept me here entirely. So, so good. I, absolutely. I, I think that really probably fits my point. I loved the episode but there were certain elements that really I just felt undermined it or it, I was torn about um, as to whether it could have been done differently or with an extra couple of episodes maybe it, it could have been given a, a, a bit more significance um, to, to have happened over, definitely. Yeah, I yeah, really enjoyed the character interactions in this episode. Again, just having some of the extra members
0: of cast in the uh, in the precinct just helped to kind of flesh out this world of the Defenders a bit more.
2: I'm rounding out our feedback for this episode. We had uh, Monica Feagley who went to say, When Colleen joined the fight at the end, I literally screamed, Yes, girl squad in action. You can't keep them on the sidelines anymore. My favourite line from Colleen to Luke after he says she should be back in the precinct. You're welcome. <laughs> Luke really needs an update here. Not even five minutes later, Claire tells him he's too late.
0: Yeah, he tries to, this is where he tries to get out of the battle. He kind of says, I'm not sure about this now. And Claire says, you're here, you're staying here, effectively saying that she's also there for the fight. So, um, so this whole group has now joined together. There's now six members of the defenders. Uh, Daddy is obviously off in Kunlun and these other five are in the building of, um, of Midland Circle to take on the battle.
2: I do feel worrisome. I, I fear, I fear for Claire. I know she can look after herself. She's been training with Colleen. She's no master yet. No, no, no It's no. So I'm like, okay, so you know, we're bringing the super unpowered, like barely trained ninja. Yeah doctor, nurse, in here. Okay, yeah, sure, let's do it. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah.
0: I'm wondering if she's just going to give a hand to Colleen about spreading out those uh, those explosives around the building in bit the, the circle, if that's going to be her job, because it would be a pretty big job for one person to run around the building with all the explosives.
1: True. Sure. But very cool to have the girl squad together. Definitely. Um, thank you so much, Monica, and for everyone else for all that feedback. Uh, keep it coming up on In. There's still time to leave us a, a voicemail, Send us uh, an email or go over and join the Facebook group. Uh, Go over to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Defenders TV podcast. And you will be in with a shout uh, if you leave us some comments or thoughts uh, for the Defenders prize draw that we are running for these eight episodes. Mm -hmm. Uh, Of course, we will be picking uh, the winning name from the prize hat. So, yeah, please uh, tune in for that, definitely. As always, we are over on Twitter as well, at DefendersCast. And, of course, please send in your voicemails. Uh, We love to hear your dulcet tones as much as we try and provide dulcet tones for for our listeners. And just head on over to DefendersTVPodcast.com and click on the Send Voicemail button.
2: And, of course, don't forget, that. Because we are a podcast, we are driven by you, the listeners. So we have to ask nicely and as much as possible. Please rate, review, share the love. Go to defendersTVpodcast.com forward slash iTunes. Rate us, leave a review and tell the others how great this is. Hell, while you're out there, tell your granny. I don't know why I'm fascinated with granny's learning about our podcast this season, <laughs> but it just seems right. I feel that granny should need to, need to know about Defenders TV podcasts. Thank you very much.
0: Excellent. Thanks so much, guys, for joining us. And thanks so much, fellow Defenders, for tuning in again. We'll be back next time with the final review of The Defenders Season 1 finale. Guess what this one's called, guys? It's called The Defenders. Much like Daredevil Season 1, the final episode was called Daredevil. This will show the creation of The Defenders at the end. They have been working together all season, but uh, really looking forward to this final episode. So make sure you subscribe to our podcast over at DefendersTVPodcast.com slash iTunes or look for us on any Defenders or Hand Supporting podcast platform just by searching for Defenders TV Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much,
2: guys. See you next week.
1: Yeah, where's that chick with the sword gone? <laughs> um, thank you, as always, for, for listening and we will speak with you again next time. Thank you. Bye. You think I'm holding-